Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. You know the drill. We love having you work with us and on important stories and important guests. And today we've got a good one. Joining us today is a former Trump economic advisor, Kale Klingenpeel. He's now the chief economist for the America First Policy Institute. That's the group that was created after President Trump left office to continue the Trump doctrine, the Trump policies, the Trump economic policies. And uh, he'll be joining us to make sense of this economy that's going on. There's a lot going on, and some of it doesn't make sense, right? We're paying people to stay home. or seeing inflation go up uh, at a rate we haven't seen in well over a decade. Uh, a lot of warning signs. And the question is, what's really going on? Well, Kale's going to bring us up to speed on all of the great uh, developments, what is working, what's not, what he would recommend President Biden do to uh, stabilize the economy, what President Trump might have done, and uh, what sort of things we need to worry about with uh, China. I, I think it's so easy for us to take our eye off China because we have so many other challenges in the world right now, but China is one of America's primary frenemies. It is a place that we trade with, but also a country that has a long-term stated goal of supplanting the United States as a military and economic superpowerhouse. And uh, we need to be on our A game at all times. I think too many times we've had our eye off the ball, missed the the big pictures, and as a result, we're uh, slipping further uh, and further in the race with China to remain uh, the supreme power of the world. And so we're going to talk about that. In fact, before Kale gets here, uh, I want to uh, focus on something I broke over the weekend. Uh, Congressman Devin Nunes, who we've had on this show many times, uh, released a memo saying that United States companies, U.S. firms, are wittingly and unwittingly aiding China's effort to supplant the United States as a superpower. And it went into some great detail, things that I hadn't seen written before. They have announced among the Republicans on the committee an investigation into China influence. And uh, this uh, is fascinating. It really is an important piece of, uh, of the security puzzle, the economic puzzle. But companies, in order to keep their access to the Chinese market, in order to keep their Chinese investments, in order to uh, have a good relationship with Beijing, according to this, 
this memo by Devin Nunes' staff on the House Intelligence Committee, the Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee, they're saying these companies are doing the bidding of Beijing, that they're lobbying state legislators and federal regulators and Congress to uh, enact or sustain pro-China policies at the expense of America's preeminence. Uh, And there are many other really interesting, precise points that Devin Nunes' team put together in this memo. You can read the whole memo up on justthenews.com because we have it uh, there for you to see. And um, uh, I downloaded it. It's in the dig-in section of the the story. But one of the other things that it really highlighted was the fact that so much of what we're doing today, opening up capital markets to China, uh, entering into deals with China, uh, looking the other way on Chinese aggression, is simply setting America back in this race. And so uh, a really important look, a sort of 30,000-foot look, uh, the Alice in Wonderland looking glass moment to show that we're actually aiding and abetting, in some cases, China's aggression, China's desire to supplant the United States. And it's never a good idea to carry out the enemy's plan. I think most people would agree that you wouldn't help if you're the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, help your opposing team in the Super Bowl win, right? You don't do that, at least not intentionally. Maybe you throw an interception or something, but not intentionally. And I think one of the most important debates we're going to have in America, and President Trump last year when he was still president, laid down this gauntlet uh, by uh, uh, saying he would throw Chinese companies off the U.S. market, off the U.S. stock exchanges, deny them access to American capital if they kept up these sort of practices. And I do think that those are uh, uh, a dialogue that we began. And then when Joe Biden took over, that dialogue a little bit disappeared. And so very important stuff to to take a look at. And uh, if you want to check out the Devin Nunez memo, what it portends, uh, there's a lot there uh, waiting right for you to, to get rolling. All right, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, Kale Klingenpeel, former uh, senior advisor to the White House Council of Economic Advisors, current chief economist for the America First Policy Institute. Put your economic green shades on for a second. We're going to have a pretty tough conversation about what's going on in the world, specifically here in the United States. And uh, I think you'll you'll be enlightened by Kale's uh, insights, his policy expertise, and really uh, the looking glass, the mirror ball that he's able to provide all of us as an economist where we're heading. Inflation, China, uh, paying workers to stay home, uh, a lot of things that have people scratching their head, and you're going to be able to hear about it directly from him right after this commercial break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, somebody who served on the White House Council of Economic Advisors as a senior advisor and now is the chief economist for America's America First Policy Institute, the group that has been formed to continue the great policies of President Trump. Joining us right now is Kale Klingenpeel. Kale, good to have you on. 
Thanks for having me on, John. Good to be with you. It's great to have you. And, and there's just so much to talk about. I don't know where to start. This economy seems like it's uh, spiraling out of control. So let me ask you, um, Biden and, and federal regulators are going to get together now and, and have a conversation. I know it seems a little late, like five months into the presidency, but where do you think the uh, the Fed, President Biden, his economic team stand in terms of having some form of a coherent economic policy? Well, that's, that's an excellent question. And uh, the financial regulators met with President Biden last week. Right. Um, and the White House put out a statement uh, and they said essentially two things. One, that the financial health of households and financial markets are um, in good form. And I tend to agree. Um, I think the Trump administration, uh, about a year ago on the precipice of a historic crisis, took strong and decisive action to make sure that households um, and people who found themselves unemployed could get through the crisis without um, compiling a lot of debt and being saddled by um, you know, poor balance sheet health. And now that we're coming out on the other side of this crisis, um, it's really important that we incentivize people to get back to work, um, that we address things like inflation. But instead, what President Biden spent his meeting with last week, the financial regulators, was on climate change. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, a, I'm not a climate denier, but I think that the American people um, deserve action on a number of other important items um, before we start talking about things like climate change. Yeah, I think, I think polls show that to be the case, too, that there are many bigger worriers right now. People are worried about the immediate, you know, the next six months, a year or two years. And it does seem like there's a disconnect in the focal point of some of the early focus of the White House and where Americans' own sentiments and concerns are. Um, as you as you look out, uh, Powell, the, the Fed chairman, made some comments last week. We're gonna, he's going to move up inflation rate increases uh, to the beginning of 2022 and acknowledge that there was some inflation, but he didn't seem to be worried about it, suggested that maybe you know, it wouldn't be as bad as the Jimmy Carter years. But when you look out now, you're, you as an economist, what do you see on the horizon with the pressure on prices? I think it's a real concern. And, you know, the thing is, is uh, we've had a number of consecutive months now of rising consumer prices. And the administration has, has used the line that this is transitory again and again. Um, and at what point, uh, after how many more months, will it no longer become transitory? President Biden ran on a, on a platform of not raising taxes on those American households that earn less than $400,000. Right. And yet, since he took office, inflation, which is a tax on American consumers, um, has skyrocketed to rates we haven't seen in decades. Um, and I'm glad to see that the Federal Reserve is beginning to at least accept that inflation is real and it's here. Um, but I think it needs to, um, I think the White House needs to take a, a similar stance. They need to recognize that um, whether it's gasoline prices, the price of new homes, uh, the price of furniture, and um, in the most recent inflation report, the price of food, they're all increasing. And those price yeah. increases harm lower income households more than they do upper income households. Um, so I think it's a real concern. I think the Fed, um, as you mentioned, has begun to recognize the threat and hopefully will begin to take um, necessary steps when appropriate. But it, it's a real concern. Yeah, it seems to be real. And you're right that the inflation does disproportionately 
uh, hurt those who Joe Biden said he was standing with. How how much um, of this is because of the amount of cash that we continue to dump into the marketplace? You know, I, I went to a restaurant this weekend and I had to wait like 90 minutes, almost two hours to get served because they literally don't have enough servers and uh, busboys and, and dishwashers to, to keep a, a fully operated uh, restaurant going. Is the cash and unemployment policies a part of the inflation picture or is, is it just a sideshow? It, it, I think it's the key. So I think you would expect that as we emerge from a pandemic when demand was suppressed um, and people begin to spend more, um, and at the same time, you have supply constraints, whether it's, um, you know, for lumber or various other commodities, you'd expect some price pressure. Um, but to see prices rise to the extent they have, um, the fact that it caught the White House off guard, the White House in its budget was projecting inflation for the year of 2%. Right. In the first five months, we're on pace to achieve percent for the year. Mm. So it's caught the White House off guard, it's caught the Fed off guard, and they've had to adjust because of that. Um, and, you know, the, the economist Milton Friedman would always say that inflation is everywhere and always a monetary phenomenon. And the injection of liquidity by the Federal Reserve, um, really since last year, but um, especially with this last $1.9 trillion uh, COVID relief bill from, right. from March, um, I think is having a tremendous effect on inflation. And as you mentioned, the worker shortage issue is also very real. Yeah, no, I really saw it for the first time in a dramatic way where, you know, a restaurant that could have been fully open, could have utilized all the tables under the current COVID rules, literally had to leave many tables open and people sitting in the parking lot because it literally didn't have enough um, restaurants, uh, workers to, to, to keep the supply going. And it's just remarkable. Um, the, the when you look at China, China has always had a uh, a slow, uh, tedious but determined uh, um, policy to become the economic superpower of the world and to supplant the American dollar as the um, standard for world currency. Do you think that the situation we find ourselves in now, highly indebted, facing inflation? Uh, that China makes some gains and some dramatic moves during this period of potential American vulnerability? I think, I think we will see um, China continue, as you say, it's a continuation, really, because for the past 20 years and more than that, that has been their goal. Um, and they've moved, uh, moved year after year towards achieving that goal. And I think the pandemic really brought that into focus. Um, and you also saw a, a shift in public opinion because of the actions of the previous administration who really um, confronted China. Right. And you saw the public um, come to realize the existential threat economically, politically, militarily that they represent. Um, but the dominance of the dollar, the U.S. dollar, is one of our greatest economic assets. And if we continue to pile on the debt, the value of that dollar is put at risk. And we, we face in our history, we've faced times of extremely high debt levels. Coming out of World War II, the size of the debt relative to the size of the economy was about 100%. Right. And that's about where we are now, um, which you would expect, you know, coming out of a once-in-a-lifetime health and economic crisis that the government would take on more debt during that time. But after World War II, 
we reduced the debt burden on the economy, and we did it by uh, cutting spending to some extent, running lower deficit, but also through growth, through growing the economy, um, getting people back to work. Uh, and what you see now is the total total opposite of that. You see more spending, but with little return for that spending. The administration itself is projecting historically low growth over the next decade. And yeah, that will put, that's very unambitious. Mm-hmm, and that's going to threaten the dollar. And as you say, it will reduce our competitiveness with China. Over the weekend, um, Congressman Devin Nunez, the ranking member on the House Intelligence Committee, he released a three-page memo. We had it here at Just the News and said that both wittingly and unwittingly, China is using American companies to carry out its march towards global supremacy. And it it gave some pretty stark uh, early intelligence findings about what American companies are doing. For instance, they're being coerced to to lobby state legislatures and federal governments on behalf of China, basically to lobby for pro-China policies that are not in the American interest. How big a wake-up call does corporate America need to have? Is corporate America become too dependent or reliant on Chinese capital and the chance to make quick money in China that they're willing to give up you know, tenants of American supremacy. Or do you have a concern like what Devin Nunez expressed over the weekend? Uh, I certainly do have a concern. And I think um, whether it's reliance on their consumers or whether it's reliance on um, producing goods and materials in China, um, some of which are critical to our national security, um, I think the past year and the past four years have really been a big wake-up call. Um, into how U.S. corporations should approach China. And we have a number of tools at our disposal where we can try and uh, change the dynamics, and we should begin utilizing them. We should begin shifting supply chains out of China, near-storing them or reshoring them, um, making sure that especially those goods, whether it's rare earth materials, um, things that are used in the production of our military equipment and jets, uh, pharmaceuticals, I mean, the list goes on, but we should really consider if, if China is the existential threat of our time, why are we producing those things there? Um, and like I said, we have a number of tools at our disposal. Um, we have, I mean, we have the most lucrative capital markets in the world, and China still benefits from those. Yeah. So we should begin looking at ways that we can uh, limit our exposure to China and also ways that we can um, hold China accountable for their malicious activity um, in the past year, but really over the past 20 years when it comes to trade and the theft of our intellectual property. Yeah, it's, re- it's really a, a moment. Uh, do you ever imagine a period where we would consider going back to most favored nation status and, and make China compete every year for the right to have access to our markets? Or do you think that that boat has set sail and uh, it's not possible to come back. It's funny. I've had several members of uh, who were in Congress back then when that occurred back in the nineties, who said it's their biggest regret, the biggest regret lifting, lifting that leverage from China. Do we go back and go to that level of maybe uh, year to year with, with China or, or is it hard to roll that back? I think given what I mean, we've gone through in the past year, right? You had um, an authoritarian state that, participate in a massive cover-up of the worst health crisis in a century. And it turns out very likely could have created uh, the virus itself Um, and more to be seen on that front. But um, I think everything needs to be on the table economically and we need to have a toolkit that 
that is available, and we have the toolkit available, and it should range from anything from, um, you know, not allowing access to U.S. capital markets. But on the other hand, we should consider um, ending permanent normal trade relations with China. That should always be an option uh, if they don't change their behavior. And to your point, since the late 1990s, um, when permanent normal trade relations was established with China, the consequences for the U.S. have been tremendous, the hollowing out of our manufacturing base. Oh, for sure. Um, but it goes well beyond that. There have been numerous studies that show um, substantial linkages, be linkages between the opioid crisis, substance abuse, um, and the trade penetration that comes from China. And I think all those things need to be taken into consider consideration moving forward um, when it comes to trade, trade relations with China. Yeah, such an important conversation I think we're going to have in America. Uh, you wrote a fantastic column for the National Review back in June 1st, and I, I had it in my uh, bookmarks the last few weeks. And you talk so much about the economic impacts of, the, of this new cyber warfare, these cyber criminals, whether they're state-sponsored, state-sanctioned, or uh, independent, uh, America is beginning to pay a dear price. And we saw it, whether it's the meatpacking pant or the colonial pipeline, uh, is America ready for this next era? And, and what does it do to the economy long-term if we continue to have ransomware and other attacks and, um, and not some sort of consistent ability to rebuff them? I don't think we are ready. And as I think the threat is growing. Um, you know, as of 2018, the total economic cost is probably around $200 billion. Um, and since 2018, that number has likely only increased. Oh, sure. Um, so it poses tremendous threats, and we're not ready. Uh, and the Trump administration released the first cybersecurity strategy in 15 years. And it made a number of really important recommendations um, for things that we should do to prepare. And unfortunately, we, have, we didn't have the chance to implement a lot of those recommendations. But I think the current administration needs to, needs to double down, and they should really consider that strategy. And part of the problem is that um, private firms, not to, their, not to discredit them, but they don't see the full picture in terms of the yeah. economic costs that are imposed by these attacks. They're worried about their and own bottom line. They're worried about, exactly. So take the Colonial Pipeline, uh, for example. The pay, ransom payment was around $4 million, but the costs don't end there. The, the, the gasoline supply disruption costs consumers $5 million more. So when that pipeline is making investment decisions, how much do we invest in cybersecurity, they're only worried about that $4 million ransom payment and not the $5 million yeah. um, that consumers get hit with. And so that's a role um, for the federal government to step in and try and fill that gap between um, what private firms are actually investing in cybersecurity and what is necessary to confront the, the threat that is out there. It, there are some amazing statistics in this article because in many ways, this is a small business problem. 70% of uh, cyber attacks are directed at small and medium-sized firms, those with less than 1,000. And 90% of the losses that a company endures when some sort of cyber attack or ransom attack occurs are not covered by insurance. It looks like there is a giant gap, not only in insurance, but in knowledge. We hear about the big ones, Colonial Pipeline or the uh, the meatpacking uh, company. 
But a lot of these are aimed at the small and the medium business person, which really are the Main Street engine of America. What can we do to, and what did President Trump's uh, policy envision for addressing uh, small to mid-sized businesses that may not have a full-time IT staff or other other things to ward off these sort of threats? Mm-hmm. Well, as you mentioned, I think one of the biggest things is helping, and this will take some time, but a, a cybersecurity insurance market um, would be interesting, a, um, which we have. There is one, but it isn't quite robust enough to confront the challenges. Uh, we have in the costs that are posed by cyber threats. Um, so doing things to promote the development of a cyber insurance market would be a book, big step in help, helping address those issues you mentioned. Um, and one of the biggest things is reporting. Um, obviously, we get uh, news when there are major uh, attacks, but for the large part, most cyber attacks go unreported. And yeah, they're below our radar, right? We don't see them. There's Exactly. And that harms, you know, insurers can't develop an insurance market if they don't know the full scope of the cyber threat that's out there. Um, So making sure that firms are disclosing when they're attacked um, and the cost of those attacks will really help us in preventing, not preventing, but at least addressing the threat in the future. Yeah. Folks, if you haven't read this article, it is a fantastic read. It's easy to understand. It's about three, four weeks old now. I think it goes back to early June. But uh, The the Rising Economic Costs of Cyber Attacks by our guest, of course, Kale Klingenpeel. Important article. I I had no idea the dynamics. I assumed that big companies were the primary target. And Kale really opened my eyes. And I I think it's a great article. If you haven't had a chance, go check it out because it is a great read, and in 10 minutes, you come back uh, way smarter than you went into the article. So, Kale, great job on that. I want to put you back in the White House Economic Advisors for a second. You're sitting a few feet from President Biden, and you're looking out. What uh, uh, advice would you give President Biden right now to pull things together and to combat the sort of things that uh, we see stacking up? I mean, there's there, the American economy is always on a fulcrum, right? And if too much weight comes on one side, we know what happens on a fulcrum. Uh, what what steps would you urge him to take over the next six to twelve months to try to right side the uh, the economy? The biggest thing is the worker shortage issue. People have got to get back to work, and they aren't incentivized to do so right now. And as you say, firms, restaurants around the country need workers. And the the, the real problem is that the longer people stay out of work, the far less likely it is that they'll go back to work in the future and they'll exit the labor force entirely. And that will be a drag, not just on the next year, it will be a drag on the next decade. It's exactly what we saw happen in the aftermath of the Great Recession, right? When people left the labor force in droves. um, And to come back, the consequences played out until President Trump took office, and he incentivized them to come back. One of my favorite statistics, um, right before the pandemic, at the end of 2019, Three quarters of the people who were coming into employment, finding new jobs, were coming from outside of the labor force entirely. Those are people who were on the economic sidelines, who weren't looking for work, um, who may have even retired. But they came back into the workforce because of the tremendous opportunity um, that had been unleashed. And if this administration continues to propose tax hikes, continues to propose unemployment benefits well in excess of the wages people can earn in the private sector, then people won't come back to work. And when and if they want to come back to work, there won't be jobs available to them. Um, So we have to get people back to work. 
do you see some quick fixes like could you give a tax credit? I mean, can you use a tax code and say, uh, if you've been out of work and you go get a job right now, you're going to get an extra tax credit for the next six months to, until you get on your feet. Are there things at the disposal of Congress and the administration, novel ideas that could really incentivize people and have a double win, get cash into the marketplace that's earned, not government printed cash, and uh, solve this worker shortage? Because it does seem to be a real problem. Well, I think the first thing they can do is stop paying people yeah. um, for, to stay. There's home. an idea. And, they're, they, <laughs> and 26 governors, yep. a bipartisan coalition, uh, including one Democrat, um, have taken steps to do just that. They're ending the $300 federal supplement uh, for unemployment insurance early. And in the first, last week, we got the first glimpse of data in the first four states that right. are ending that $300 supplement. Claims for unemployment insurance fell by 30%. Yeah, and hirings went up. Exactly, and in the in the um, twenty four states, or twenty four states in the District of Columbia that are not ending the unemployment benefits early, claims went up for unemployment insurance last week. Um, so clearly, it's a it's a it's a major problem. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, I think offering some sort of reemployment bonus to incentivize a return to work is important. And then looking more long term, I think one of the really important things. Um, to incentivize U.S. firms to invest capital here. There's some, you know, President Trump uh, passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017, which really ignited much of the yeah, growth. That, that was the kerosene on the economic fire, no doubt. And unfortunately, some of those provisions are due to expire in the coming years. So Congress should really look at making those expiring provisions permanent and that will help incentivize firms to invest in factories here to boost productivity, boost wages. That will help the American workers, not these um, tax hikes to fund Green New Deal infrastructure. Um, that's just going to incentivize firms yeah. to take their money elsewhere. Um, kind of keep the, the bad trend lines that we've seen going here. All right. I want to fu- finish with something fun because we, we had a, a great Alaska fishing um, expert on our show last week. And I, I love things Alaska, particularly in the summer. I have fond memories of going there when I was a kid. So uh, let me get this straight. Did you actually train uh, Itarog dogs in the in the sled races? <laughs> I did. I spent a summer on a, a remote glacier helping take care of 70 I did her on racing dogs. <laughs> How about that? That is amazing. I can tell you that is a first on this show, and I'm proud to say it. That's great. Well, most, what a, most important experience of my life. I bet it was. Yeah, nothing like 70 dogs in a glacier to make you feel <laughs> you're in charge. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, Kale, we appreciate all you've done in service of your country and also what you're doing at the America First Policy Institute, which is an important new voice in the policy realm. If people want to follow what you're doing or following, follow what AFPI is doing, what's the best way for them to do so? Check us out online. We're at AmericaFirstPolicy.com. And our Twitter handle is a, at A1Policy. And there's lots more to come. The economy is is no shortage of issues to address. So we'll have a lot of materials on that front. You ain't kidding. It's going to be an important, important year of debate on the policies. Cal, I can't thank you enough. This was such a great uh, uh, lesson. We kind of went through a lot of different things, thought some big thoughts. And I want to try to get you back on soon. Our, our listeners are very concerned about the state of the American economy and where it goes under President Biden. And it was really great to, to get all of your insights. I want to thank you for that. John, thank you very much. Look forward to speaking with you in the future. Sounds great. 
All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. So grateful to Kale Kling and Peel. What a great opportunity to chat and have a conversation about the state of the economy, what President Biden can do, inflation, China, uh, uh, underemployment, people rather stay home and be paid by the government than go out and have a fruitful job with health insurance and benefits and, and retirement. An amazing moment in American economic history. And you got to talk with Kale Klingenpeel and get his take on things. I think he has a pretty uh, insightful look at the economy as a good vantage point for all he's done. And of course, interesting ties to Alaska and the Iterod race. Wasn't that fun? It's always fun when you have a guest that has a background you didn't know about that uh, you can talk about, and um, we're so grateful. All right, we're going to be doing some more reporting on a lot of different fronts. Until then, uh, have a blessed night. Uh, make sure you check out justthenews.com whenever you want uh, for the breaking news of the day. We had a lot going on today. The Supreme Court, its ruling on transgender bathrooms uh, has some uh, conservatives scratching their head. Have they been let down by those Trump nominees? I don't know. We'll bring Sophie Mann on tomorrow and have a discussion about that. Until then, have a great night. God bless you. God bless this amazing country, the United States, as he always has. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from justthenews.com.